0: Well, it's a pleasure to be with you today, to reverse roles, and normally I'm sitting out there with you, and to get to come up here and to open God's Word. Uh, For those of you that don't know, me and my family, we've been members here at First Baptist since 2013. We've had two of our children here, and so this has really been a wonderful church family that we've felt a lot of love and support from over the years. And so we're glad to be part of this body, and as we were singing that song there, just uh, made me excited to be praying some of those things. So would you pray with me one more time as we uh, get ready to open God's word together? Lord, I'm just a man standing up here to talk, and yet we're opening the inspired word of God. The darkness doesn't fear because I'm up here or when Pastor Josh is up here, or anyone else, goes out. The darkness has to fear. The darkness recedes before the light. And so we pray that there be a lot of light right now as we open this book. As we look to your word and we ask, Lord, show us more of yourself. Show us how to live in this life and show us how our small lives can be used for your global glory. We pray this in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen. In the summer of 1917, an American college student decided he wanted to do something different than just study or waste away his summer days, so he signed up to go sell Spanish Bibles down in Guatemala. When he got there, he was quite surprised to find that many people had no interest in the Spanish Bibles he was selling. What he came to find out was that actually, a large portion of the population there in Guatemala were descendants of the Mayan Indians, and many of them only spoke a little Spanish, and most of them couldn't read any of it, so they had no interest in the Bibles he was selling. It was conversations like this, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that got him thinking, well, they need to be able to read God's Word in their own language. So he and his wife, a few years later, decided that was what they needed to do. And they moved down there, and they began to live among the Kachakel people, began to learn their language, and they began to translate the Bible. During that time, they also came back to the United States because they were so passionate about what they were doing, they wanted to get others involved in it. So they came back to the U.S. to train people and bring them down to help with the work. Ten years later, the Cachical New Testament was finished. And soon after that, Wycliffe Bible Translators was founded. Cameron Townsend is the name of that American college student, just a young guy who wanted to be faithful to Jesus' command that we're going to look at today in Matthew 28. For him, that initially meant selling Spanish Bibles, but you see, he realized somewhere along the way that that wasn't effective. That wasn't doing what he really was supposed to be doing, so he, che- he was humble enough to change his tactic. See, his, his goal wasn't to go out and sell a bunch of Spanish Bibles and write back to people in the United States and say, look how many Spanish Bibles I sold. His goal was like Jesus commanded, to make disciples. And for him, that meant he had to go through the arduous process of learning a very difficult language, translating the Bible into that language so that people could hear for the first time. The text we're going to look at today teaches us that on the basis of his authority, King Jesus sends out his servants to make disciples of all nations. On the basis of his authority, King Jesus, who we just sang about, King Jesus sends out his servants, that's us to make disciples of all nations. If you've got a Bible, open with me to Matthew 28. A familiar text, but a wonderful text. We're going to look at some different aspects of that today. Matthew chapter 28. I'll begin reading in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee I am with you always to the end of the age. Our tendency as 21st century Americans, when we read the Bible, oftentimes is, okay, tell me what to do. Right? We're kind of can-do people. And there's something that's really good about that in a lot of ways. We want to get something done. We want to see a kingdom built, so let's get it built, right? But I think that, we would be better if when we start looking at this text today, then instead of asking, what does this text tell me to do? What is my mission based on this text? To first say, what does this text tell me about God? After all, this is his book. This is his world. The nations are his. The mission is his. So I think that we're going to be better off if we start by first asking the question, what does this text tell us about God? And then we're going to move on to the question of what is this text calling us as First Baptist Fairdale to do? So let's look at this so we can better understand our little role in God's global mission. I want us to see three things about Jesus in this text, his power, his status, and his authority. We're going to look at three things about Jesus to start. First, Matthew 28 begins with the resurrection from the dead. know we didn't have time to read it there but if you look back up probably the headers in your bible say the resurrection right at the beginning of chapter 28 look with me at verses five to seven what the angel says but the angel said to the women do not be afraid for i know that you seek jesus who was crucified he's not here for he is risen as he said come see the place where he lay Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, just a few days before this, Jesus had offered himself as a substitute for his people, a sacrifice for the sins of his people all over the world, and, as we just read there, three days later, he rose from the dead like he said. Now, as far as we understand this world, when something dies, that's not a process that we have the power to reverse. I know we hear stories, amazing stories, about people that go into a comatose state or people that are pronounced dead, and amazingly, they come back. We usually call it a miracle, right? Because it's something that we don't understand how that could happen. But what the text is telling us, and as Pastor Josh preached for the past few months, is that Jesus died. He didn't just get pronounced dead, He didn't just go into a a sleepy state, a comatose state. He wasn't just medicated here. He was three days dead. His body should be decomposing by all human standards and what we understand in this fallen world. But this is Jesus' world. Jesus rules this world. His power transcends even the natural laws that he put into place. Paul mentions this. We've been looking at this in Philippians in the evening services. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Listen. Listen. For Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead." This resurrection displays the power of Jesus, a power over an enemy that we can't defeat, and yet Jesus has. He's defeated the enemy of death. So Paul is willing to undergo any kind of suffering as long as he can share in that kind of power, because it's a power that goes beyond death. Jesus is powerful. But let's look at a second thing about Jesus in this text Jesus receives worship. You probably noticed it as we read. Twice in the passage, throughout Matthew 28, Jesus' followers worship him, and he doesn't rebuke them. Don't, don't, don't do that. He doesn't say that. He receives it. Notice in verse 17, when the 11 disciples see the risen Jesus, their first response is to worship. They bow down before him. Did you think about that when we were singing the song earlier? I bow down to you, I bow down to you. How often do we do that? We don't really do that in our society, do we? I can't remember the last time I bowed down in front of another person. In the ancient world, that was quite customary, to bow down in front of someone who had a higher social status or some sort of superiority to, because you can see bowing down puts you in a lower position, and that that recognizes some sort of superiority. But I think that something more is going on here. There's something more to this bowing down. It's not just customary. There's something that's compelling them to bow down. In other words, they fell down on their knees in wonder at what they were seeing. Here's the guy they had just watched die. Someone had said he was going to raise from the dead, and he did. This kind of power demands a response, even when we don't fully understand it. You may be rather new in your faith here, and you don't fully understand all the ins and outs of Christianity, and that's okay. We can still wonder and worship God because all of us here are learning and growing together. Look at the end of verse 17, right? They worshiped him, but some doubted. They see this man risen from the dead. They're amazed, and yet they're asking, how can this be? how can it be that he actually is back from the dead? We, we heard him talk about that, but we didn't really know what to do with that. And now here he is standing before us. They worshipped and they doubted. We, we can relate to that, can't we? We can relate to seasons when we don't fully understand, we have doubts, we have troubles, and yet we worship through it. And that is an appropriate response. But I think it's important for us to see a connection here. Jesus... Recognized their doubts, too. Jesus recognized their doubts. Look at the next verse, okay? This is the third thing I want us to see. Jesus has great power. He receives worship, and rightfully so. But third, he is all authoritative. He's all authoritative. He sees their doubts, and then verse 18 starts, and Jesus came and said to them, He recognized that their worship was mingled with some doubts, and he draws near and he's going to tell them something that's going to help push back some of that doubting. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. If anyone else said that, we would probably just laugh at them. What what a ridiculous thing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. But when someone who came back from the dead says it, We have to pay a little bit more attention, don't we? We can't just slough it off as, this guy's crazy, okay? Someone from the dead comes and says, all authority. In other words, he can do whatever he pleases. He can command anyone that he pleases. He can lead as he see fits, and no one tells Jesus no. No one. But it's not just all authority. It's all authority in heaven and on earth. His authority stretches everywhere. His kingdom is everywhere. There's no other kingdom. Any other one that says they're a king or they have a kingdom is just pretending to the throne. Or worse, rebels against the true ruler. Jesus is a benevolent king, but he's still a king. He rules, and there's no exceptions. Now, this shouldn't surprise Jesus' disciples. These guys were pretty well versed in the Scriptures, as we see through the rest of the New Testament, how much they bring up the Scriptures to prove that Jesus really was the Messiah. I want you to listen. If you want to look there, we're going to turn to Daniel chapter 7. But if you don't want to turn there, you can just listen. Listen to parallels between what Jesus is saying here and what was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Be destroyed. Do you see how Jesus here is addressing the doubts of his disciples? By proclaiming his authority, he's pointing back to a verse like this that they should have known and said, I'm that guy. Everlasting dominion, that's mine. All peoples, nations, and languages, those are mine. A kingdom, I'm the king. Here I am. You don't need to doubt anymore. I think the question comes to us too, doesn't it? Do you believe it, Fairdale? Do you believe that he's the king? Have you bowed your knee to him? Have you surrendered the rights of your life over to him that he gets to tell you what to do? You don't get to say, no, Jesus. All authority has been given to him. I know that we all probably feel areas of our life where we're holding back where we hesitate. I don't know if I want to put that out on the table. And yet he has all authority. Let's surrender to him. Let's stop fighting against his claim on our lives. He has the authority. He's going to claim it. Let's serve him. Because that is where our souls are going to be most happy. We're going to be most happy when we're doing what we've been made to do, serve our king. This is what we were made for. We need to see those things about Jesus in this text, that he has incredible power, that he's worthy. We're not worthy to receive worship, but he is worthy to receive worship, and he has an authority, a kingdom that stretches everywhere and that cannot be rolled back. Everyone owes Jesus their utmost allegiance, and yet everyone enters the world as a rebel. In the book of Romans, Paul says that were haters of God, enemies. I know that there's, there's some conflict when we hear this term rebels if, you're, if you follow these new Star Wars movies that come out, right? Because you, you kind of want to cheer for the rebels, right? Because they're fighting against an evil dictator. But here Jesus is a good king, and rebellion is a bad thing. We don't want to be called rebels, and yet that's the state that we all enter this world in. We can feel it in our hearts when we hold back, when we say no. Well, let's look at what the rest of this passage calls on us, because we're rebels who have been redeemed. We've got a new king, and even though we're seeking, by the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, to overcome that rebellion in our own hearts, we want to serve him. I think most of you are here today because you want to serve the king better. You want to follow him. So let's see what this great king tells us to do in this text. When he says to the disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because of that, because I've got all authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to look at two things about the mission here. I first want to look at the scope of the mission And then I want to look at the nature of the mission. Okay, We're going to look first at the scope of the mission and then the nature of the mission. I'm not much of a winter sports person, even though I'm from the north. Anyone here big skiers, you like to take ski vacations or what? For some reason, my wife and I lately have enjoyed watching the Winter Olympics on television at at night just to... To watch a few races, watch these people going down the hill at 80 miles an hour flying on ice ready to die, it looks like ready to die at any moment, but somehow they maintain control. But there's something about the Olympics I think that has this draw that I love. Countries from all over the world sending their best young men and women to go and compete with one another in these various sorts of ice and snow games as part of the opening ceremony, as most of you know, there's always a parade of nations, right? So they all come into the, the stadium one by one. This year it was kind of, I found myself being confused because they went by the Korean alphabet, and I don't know any Korean. And so the, all these countries were out of order from what I should have thought, but it made perfect sense to other people, okay? So they're, they're coming in, Germany, Norway, Chile, Nigeria, Japan, Korea, and so on. In Daniel's prophecy... It said that all peoples, nations, and languages will serve the Messiah King. Jesus repeated the idea in the text. Did you catch it? He picked up that idea from Daniel and said, go to all nations and make disciples of them. Is that what Jesus is referring to? This Olympic parade? Netherlands, Italy, Brazil, South Africa, China. Is that what he's talking about here? Make disciples of all nations? Or is he talking about the Amdo, and the Buyi, and the Choni, The Dong, the Gay and the Han? The Hmong, the Yu Mian, the Jiarong, the Kampa, and the Laba, and then if we go all the way down to Z, we can get the Zhuang. That's just a few of the over 500 people groups that live in the country of China. Each one of those groups that I picked right there has over 100,000 people Most of them have their own language, and all of those still need a gospel witness among them. All of those groups, and many more. So yes, in one sense, let's just say China needs Jesus, right? America needs Jesus. But at the same time, all those peoples need Jesus, because if you just go to China, you're going to find there's a lot more diversity than we thought, These are the nations that Jesus is talking about here. So it makes me ask a question. Is this really what God cares about? Doesn't God just want to see as many people as possible come into his kingdom? Makes sense. After all, it takes a lot of money and a lot of effort to reach the Huichol people of Mexico. It's one of the few peoples in Mexico that's still an unreached group. They've got their own language, their own culture. They live in a certain region of the country, and they don't have a vibrant gospel witness yet. It's going to take a lot of work to get de- people down there, to get a witness in there, to get the Bible translated. What if we just put all that money and effort into doing more work around here? We could surely reach more people, couldn't we? God gets the glory and salvation from every individual, doesn't he? In one sense, yes. Yes, every soul is amazingly precious. A person is made in the image of God. So God forbid that we ever use a text like the Great Commission to be lazy about reaching out to our neighbors, okay? God forbid that we would do something like that. But we do want to recognize what this text is calling us to. It's calling us out of our comfort zones, out of what's familiar to go reach what is different and difficult, Acts 1.8 reminds us that Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You're pretty comfortable there. And in Judea, that's other people like you in Samaria, people that, oh, you hate the Samaritans. Well, I want you to go be witnesses there and then to the end of the earth, okay? Your witness is going to spread everywhere and I guarantee once they got out of Israel, they weren't going to be running into a lot of Jews. People like them. They were going to have to get into some difficult situations. So in one sense, no, God's mission to all nations is telling us something really important about God's priorities. He does want to see people saved. We want to tell everyone about Jesus, and yet he's got certain priorities that are pushing us beyond our comfort zones. He wants all of these nations, all the diversity they represent to be part of his kingdom. If you don't believe me yet, let's go ahead and look at the first book, And the last book of the Bible to see if we can get a sense for this. Okay? So, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, starts out this way. This is how Paul summarized it God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Okay? So, from Adam and Eve, we're becoming all the nations of the earth. After the flood, we were back down to one family again, weren't we? That God saved through this great catastrophe. But then they began to disperse because they decided to rebel against God and said, we're going to build this tower up to heaven and show how powerful we are. And God said, I'm going to come down there and check out your tower. I'm going to to come down to your tower and check it out. And he confused their languages and they had to move away from there. They couldn't talk to each other anymore. So they had to spread out over the face of the earth. God spread out the nations. But in doing that, he had a plan. He had a plan in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. This is what it said. Now Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, all places you're comfortable with, right? "Go, Go away from there to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse Now catch this, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, because of the rebellion of man, God had to spread people out in all these families all over the earth, and yet through one family, he intends to bless all the families of the earth. The plan was, through his offspring, the people of Israel, God was going to bless all these nations. We see this throughout the checkered history in the Old Testament. God intended to make himself known to the nations. We see some flickers of light, but we don't see the perfect light yet. And ultimately, it seems like that plan failed, but it didn't. But what we wanted to catch from the book of Genesis was God's original intention to bless all the families of the earth. Through that, there came a temple, a sacrificial system that just were shadows pointing to our Messiah, Jesus, the pure and perfect light who came to the world, Isaiah 49, 6. This Messiah, Jesus, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, if you're familiar from John 1, 29. And in the final book, okay, so we've gone from the first book where God says, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth Now if we look at the final book, Revelation, we see that a lamb is receiving worship in heaven. We've already seen someone receiving worship today, haven't we? The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, is that, is that where it stops? No, there's something very specific here. Catch this. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Notice that. The Lamb ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Ransom's not a term you've probably used too often, unless you watch lots of pirate movies or something like that. It's an economic term. It's referring to buying something. We don't just buy. We buy something. We buy something specific. The focus in this verse involves purchasing a specific item out of a specific situation. Jesus dies for sinners, particular sinners, from every nation on earth. In John's Gospel, Jesus said it this way, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice we've got a mixing of metaphors here, don't we? Jesus, who is the sacrificial lamb, is also the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life like a sacrificial lamb, but specifically for his people, his people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And they're scattered all over the world, throughout all history, and he sends out his messengers to go and find them, saying, they're going to listen to my voice. So call them in. Let them hear my voice. They will respond. What does this show us about our God? First, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, marvel at this amazing pursuit. 2,000 years later, half the world away, you've heard the voice of the shepherd. He called. You've heard and responded. You were not part of the Jewish fold, the original people that heard Jesus' voice, and yet the message has come to you. It's come to you in a language that didn't even exist at the time Jesus was on the earth. English didn't come into existence till well after 1100, as we know it in any form today. Okay, Amazing pursuit of us. We can give thanks to God for that. Also, notice the amazing power that God has to get the message. It doesn't matter what the language barrier is. It doesn't matter what the political barrier is or the spiritual barriers in our hearts. Those that Jesus died for will hear his voice and come into the kingdom. This is, again, another sign of his amazing power. Third, let's apply it to this passage here in Matthew 28. Jesus has fulfilled God's intention to bless all the families of the earth. Remember, in Genesis it said he wanted to do this. He intended to do this. Now Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has done this. He's bought these people from all the families of the earth. But we're We're still in in between here. That's why Jesus has sent us on a mission. Jesus has sent us on a mission. So this is the scope of the mission. Let's look at the nature of the mission. Look Look back at the passage, will you? In Matthew 28, if you still have your finger there. The nature of our mission among the nations is to make disciples. In English, it looks, it looks like there might be four commands here. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. While each of these words do have a sense of a command to them, in Greek, the main command here is make disciples. But you can see this in the English as well. Think with me through this, okay? Make disciples. Think about baptism. Typically, this is the place where we start our faith journey. When we profess faith in Jesus as Lord, we publicly display that we identify with his death and resurrection when we get baptized, okay? That's why we Pastor Josh asks the question, what is your profession and people say Jesus is Lord, right? That's where we make this profession in front of others and identify with Jesus, the beginning of the faith journey. And yet notice here, it's being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So clearly, we know something. We've learned who this God is. We've learned what he's done for us and decided to put our trust in him by his grace. So baptism isn't just a ritual. There's real faith here. There's a real object of faith here, faith in the triune God, and yet these individuals need to grow in their faith, right? We all are growing in our faith, and that's where the second command comes in, teaching. Okay. So this idea of making disciples... Another way we could say it is, we're going to go out and baptize, we're going to get people believing in Jesus, get them on the faith journey, and we're going to teach them. And we're, going to, we're going to help them along as they grow into that profession to realize, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Right? I challenged us to that earlier, to think through that. What areas of our life are we still holding back? We're all growing in that together. We learn what God's like. We learn how Jesus lived on the earth We learn how our lives, by the help of the Holy Spirit, can be more like Him. This is the core of discipleship. But I got a question for you. How would you do this if you didn't have the Bible? How would you do especially the second command here? Learning or teaching to observe all of Jesus' commands if you didn't have the Bible? How would you know what Jesus commanded if you didn't have access to his words? How would Pastor Josh get up here each week and proclaim and teach us what God wants us to do, what God's will is for our lives, if we didn't have the Bible? How would we fight against sin? How would we comfort our friends when they're going through pain? How would we challenge the false ideas of our society? How would we cheer up our own downcast souls if we didn't have God's word? When Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and we were so thankful for that. There's power that comes with the Holy Spirit. There's confidence that comes with the Holy Spirit in our lives. But he also gave us clear teaching in the Word, did he not? In 2 Timothy 3.17, it tells us that God gave the Scripture so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All the good works God calls us to, we we need some help getting there. And part of that is knowing and following the Word of God. We need both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to grow in our faith, to become more developed disciples of Jesus. So how do those without the Word of God grow in their faith? They're missing one side of of the equation here. I think sometimes we can easily forget that the Bible wasn't actually written down in English. In fact, Jesus' disciples mostly spoke Aramaic and Hebrew with one another, but when it came time to write down the New Testament, do you know what language they wrote it in? They wrote it in Greek, so that people all around the Mediterranean Sea could understand it, because that, at that time, that was the language that people all over the ancient world knew. It wasn't their first language, but they went to that difficult length of writing it down in another language so that other people could understand it and grow in their faith. You didn't have to become a Hebrew speaker in order to read the Bible. You could now understand it in your own language. So from the very beginning, the Bible was given to us in a language that was common to the world at that time. But even for the next hundred years, people began to translate it. When it got to the western part, past Italy, not as many people spoke Greek. Over there, so they translated it into Latin. When it went down south, they translated into Coptic. When it went to the east, they translated into Syriac. When it went to the north into France, they translated into Gothic, and on and on to these different groups. We have translations that were started. The first English translation didn't come until the year 1384, when John Wycliffe translated the Latin Bible into English so that people could better understand it. This motivation to translate the scriptures came from a desire to see people know God's word so they could better follow him. They could be more complete disciples of Jesus. Many people throughout history have done the hard work of learning another language so that they could read God's word. They didn't have it in their own language, so they went ahead and learned a whole new language. How many of you have learned a new language? There's probably very few fluently bilingual people here, okay? Have many people learned another language so that they could read it themselves and translate it back to their own language so their own people could have it. That has happened. But we can't expect most people to do that. We can't. We need to do the hard work of getting it to them in their language. Most people can't invest the time, energy, and effort to learn that language. In 1980 at a Good Friday service in Cameroon, a man named Leonard Leonard Bolioski began reading an account of the crucifixion. Now, in the past, that crucifixion story had always been read in French, which in Cameroon is the wider language of communication. But that year, Leonard read from the Gospel of John, which had recently been translated into the local language of Yambeta. As he, fin- as he began reading, he noticed that there was an uncanny hush that came over the people there. And even in the back, he could, he could start to hear women weeping as he read this story out. And afterwards, people rushed forward to talk to him. We didn't know that story. We've never heard anything like it before. We didn't know there was someone that loved us so much that he died so that we could be saved. Leonard calmly pulled out his French New Testament and opened to the familiar passage and said, we we read this every year. I I know you. You've been here every We read this. And yet the people insisted they had never heard it before. That experience of seeing people he knew, that people that he had worshipped with week after week, finally and fully understand God's word, transformed Leonard. He... He, he, he had to struggle with the question, how long had my friends been stumbling in the darkness, not really understanding what the Bible said? I'm pleased to let you know that in 2017, just this past year, the New Testament was finally and fully translated into Yambeta so that those people can read all the commands of Jesus and learn to follow them. They can learn God's will for their lives in a language that speaks to them. But thousands are still waiting. This phenomenon, though, of of Bible translation is taking place all over the world. Another group in Eurasia received recently the New Testament, and this is what one of the pastors exclaimed. Now we know that Christianity is not a foreign religion, but it's for us too. How, How did he know that? that it wasn't just a religion for them, but a religion for us, when they finally had God's word in their language, when God was speaking to the language that they had grown up with in their hearts. When people finally get God's word in the language they know best, it transforms them. It produces this disciple-making culture we want to see. Now, I'll confess, Jesus' command here in the text, if, if you read it with me, is not go everywhere and translate the Bible, Right? It's go and make disciples. But we need this book in the process of disciple-making, which is why the Lord has led my family to be involved in this work. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing that with people that as we think about the Word of God in our lives and how other people still need it. Well, let's think about where we've been today. The risen, all-powerful, infinitely worthy King Jesus received all authority from his Father. All authority from his father he instructs his followers to make disciples of all peoples nations and languages why because they're his he's been given them he wants them to be his disciples his followers he died on behalf of people from each of those groups and Jesus gave a command to his followers in all ages in other words to his church Jesus sends out his church to call these people from all nations into the kingdom. The church, that that would be us as part of the church, right? The church, in turn, sends individuals to do specific work, as the Lord calls them. We're all in this work. Fairdale needs the gospel. We have work to do. And yet, individuals from uh, certain places are called out to go and represent Fairdale in other work. Now when I say Air Force, what do you think of? Maybe think of jets or flyovers at football games or something like that. Maybe some of you thought pilots, right? It makes sense, Air Force, pilots. Did you realize that according to the Air Force's own statistics, that less than 4% of their over 300 personnel, 300, excuse me, 300,000 personnel are actually pilots? Less than 4% of the Air Force are actually pilots. That means 96% of those serving are doing things other than flying. But every single member of the Air Force is working towards the mission of the Air Force, which is fly, fight, and win. I think we can learn from that. Not every Christian is going to go be a cross-cultural missionary not every christian is going to translate the bible but every christian is in this mission that jesus gave us every christian needs to be represented we do this by making disciples around here we find ministries where our skills and abilities can be used we notice people that move to our area that are different than us that come from a different culture and we seek to extend generous hospitality to them But without diminishing any of that important, important work, we also pray and give and send people out to go and do that work in other places. I'm very proud to be part of a church that takes two weekends out of the year to devote ourselves to prayer because we know that we need a good reminder to keep praying all the time. I'm proud to be part of a church that gives generously to a Lottie Moon offering for global missions, even though our regular budget contributes to global missions all the time. I'm proud to be part of a church that regularly sends its members and its pastoral staff to do work in other parts of the world so that the good things that God's doing here at First Baptist Fairdale can be represented and bless people other places. I think that that gets to the heart of God. Remember back in Genesis, he wants to bless all the families of the earth and when we get that heart we start to do those things as well so this gives Rachel and I confidence as we're preparing to go out from this place that you're gonna carry on the good work here in Fairdale and you're gonna seek to extend the boundaries of God's kingdom beyond that so as we look at this text today we remember the great king Jesus who gives this command to us his servants we want to ask him how do I take another step How do I take another step in serving you here? How do I take another step in serving you and serving the nations of people that are different, people where it's difficult and it makes me uncomfortable? We want to ask that question and wrestle with that together. But I want to leave you with the last word that Jesus leaves. Because again, remember, he was was addressing the doubts of his disciples. And And he ended with, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't do this alone. We go on the power and authority of Jesus, and we go in the confidence that wherever we go, whoever we're interacting with, Jesus is there with us. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, thank you for giving us such a wonderful king whose power extends over all other powers whose power extends over all the earth. That gives us confidence. Thank you. Because we're weak. We doubt. We have trouble. We're just struggling to get by day to day sometimes, let alone figure out how to make a disciple of people that are so different from us. And yet you call us to that difficult work. Teach us, Lord, what our role is. Help us to be more vigilant in our prayer. Help us to find how we can use our resources to better serve the advance of your kingdom all over the world so that all those peoples we listed before, the Hmong, the Gay, the Dong, the Zhuang, and, and so many thousands of others that still need to hear your word and their language, that still need to hear a witness of Jesus Christ, might have a chance to hear it. Give us new vigilance. Give us new and sustained energy towards this end. And we know that you will because you promised that your spirit would be with us to the end of the age. So we thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' great name. Amen.